It's just meant to be a conversation, so don't be too... I, I know I say don't be nervous <laughs> and you're still going to be super nervous, yeah. but I know. But it's it's not an interview, right? It's just a chat. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully, hopefully I'm decent at being casual. <laughs> yeah. I think you'll be all right. I think you'll be all right. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, despite your, your young age, you've already received awards, prizes. You've been winning awards for the National Student Heritage commentating contest you've been recognized by the national council of youth organization in korea for your work you've written a book which is going to be published it kind of blows my mind how much you're doing what you're doing because we think you know in our stereotypes children your age are just playing computer games and sitting on sofas <laughs> and sleeping in late so how did you start doing what you're doing where did this journey begin let's let's try and get into it from the start Kay. Okay. Wow, that's flattering. Thank you, first of all. Thank um, you. And I do sit around <laughs> and sleep a lot, but um, I just to explain a little bit about myself, I am fully Korean, and mm -hmm. I've gone to Korean school for eight years now. Um, a lot of people think that's surprising. I don't know why, but um, and even though I'm going to like international school right now, mm -hmm. I lived in America when I was seven, like for mm -hmm. a year and a half, which meant that I went to public school in the States. And because I was so young, I didn't even know English or like even the alphabet. So mm. um, at the time it was really a struggle, like to the point where my uh, homeroom teacher had to pack my bag for me because I didn't understand what she was saying. <laughs> so um, that's really where I started off at very young. Um, and uh, being exposed to like a foreign country at such a young age and mm. going through the experience of like being criticized that my kimchi fried rice lunch is like smelly and I had to eat sandwiches that I don't like for a year and um, those experiences kind of had me to um, feel curious about where I come from and why there are differences between people and why I wasn't used to my culture as well, living in a foreign country in a, such a young age, mm. even though it was like a short period of time. Mm. And now like Korea is well known for like to foreign countries because it's music and food and beauty. But um, that back then it really annoyed me how people didn't know who I identify with as. Like mm -hmm. people didn't know where Korea was when, you know, they're holding a Samsung or LG phone or getting into their Hyundai cars. And that made me really mad, like as a young Korean, that people weren't recognizing our country and our traits for what we have established. Mm. And I would be playing in the playground with all these white girls and they would come up to me and they're like, I don't want to play with a Chinese girl. And I think it's, it's able to generalize to every Korean or like Asian girl, mm. uh, like children living abroad in a young age, um, being hurt by these like, you know, comments from people. And I, at the same time, what struck me as like an individual more was that I have come back to Korea and my classmates would consider me foreign when mm. I was considered Asian and being discriminated abroad. So um, a lot of, um, you know, criticism and um, it's weird for being able to speak better like English than them mm -hmm. to some people. And that was what I was also criticized as. And, um, you know, it, a lot of mix between like a lot of conflicts. And that really went to questioning what Korea is and what Korean culture is and history is like as a Korean mm -hmm. and what 
as a Korean that I'm supposed to be doing with those customs leading to what parts of Korea needs to be more advertised in order to have like an international audience of culture and history and um, what I loved and identify as was Korea. So I wanted to know more about that and um, kind of get into like the general understanding. And I think that's what really led me towards what Korea is, why I need to study Korean history in order to blend in at some times or maybe to advocate for myself at some times. And yeah, that's where it all started. And I studied, started studying history with, you know, the goal to spread Korea to be um, exposed to more of an international community day mm. by day. And I would watch these news, like all over the news, I would hear, oh, President Moon or like other people, like people who are supposed to be representing our country going abroad in international stages. And they're having like lunch by themselves or they're not being able to blend out or, you know, so mm. that was really a big pain for me to watch as a Korean because I love this country so much. And that's where I kind of started very small by visiting just different historic sites, taking notes and pictures of like every spots or object that I could possibly see to know a little bit more about Korea. And mm. I think I started that on a very experience-based type of studying um, instead of like just, you know, reading books all day. Um, and at, at the age, I was too young to read books. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but um, just looking at words that I didn't know, whether that was Korean or English and keeping track of like what I studied, diving into like a deeper factual understanding of historical knowledge. Like, and then after a general understanding, I kind of thought about what I would need to like take on as to like come to the goal of advocating for myself or the country. So I started like coming up ways to explain the historic sites with the knowledge that I have studied. And that included like coming up with like own exhibition route or writing my own scenarios. So yeah, basically I started studying history when I was like in fifth grade and I started giving tours when I was in eighth grade. So um, now it's my fifth year giving tours at historic sites to foreigners, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. What I love about that so much, Kay, is that your desire to increase awareness and spread knowledge of Korea, Korean history, Korean culture, it doesn't come through sort of, you mentioned President Moon and people going abroad, but it comes from personal experience. It comes from a desire. It comes from what you've been through as an individual rather than like a government office or bureaucrat yeah. saying, you know, mm -hmm. Korea fighting. It's, and, <laughs> I, and I think it creates different effects. And that's really a cool thing. You mentioned that you know, some people might have a, a Samsung phone and or a Hyundai car and not even know it's from Korea. I remember my, my grandmother, she proudly told her friends before I came here that I was going to South Croatia. Uh, and that oh. was, <laughs> she, she was old, it's okay. She didn't mean bad by it. But mm. do you think that's changed? You know, so you were talking about your early young experiences. Do you think it's you know, we can't generalize the whole world, but it, it is Korea a bit more known now? Is it a bit cooler to be Korean or is there still a long way to go on that, do you think? Um, I mean, a big mix of both. Like mm. throughout the past 10, 20 years, Korea evidently has changed a lot. And I think it's kind of seen like the fame, like, I mean, 
if you talk about like Korean fame, it's obviously like BTS, you know, mm. Korean food, mukbangs, and you know. But other than that, just general interest that people have, mm. like no matter where it's individual, like individually originated from, has changed a lot. And I think that can be like seen in, um, you know, majors that people choose when it comes to like. you know colleges mm. like people like the rate of people choosing a korean um, based study or like asian studies have been going up 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 in many colleges and i think not like you said it can't be like seen in all over the world it, it can't be generalized but mm. at least it's being seen in just big countries like for example america canada in england or you know um people have been being more focused and if you just look on like celebrities korean celebrities like comments you know half of them are english or languages that i can't understand and i think yeah. i should be proud and you know baby steps will lead to even a bigger pro like progress so mm. i think i'm very happy of what's been happening of korea yeah i i agree and i definitely see it because it I, I teach Korean studies in universities and the amount of international students coming in, it, it, it's really good for me because the classes become popular, but it shows you that it's real, actually. It's not just statistics or it shows you people actually are becoming more interested in mm -hmm. Korea. Now, what's interesting, you mentioned things like BTS and Mokbang and you know, you know, Esper and all this, but it's easy to promote Korea through that K-culture, the K-pop, the K-dramas, because it's, because it's cool. <laughs> and it looks good and it's beautiful it but you do it through history and and that's what i think is the really like interesting part about it and we normally associate history with being boring or school exams or you know most people got like, history really so why history why why have you chosen to try to spread awareness of korea through history okay okay i think this kind of leads to my next goal that I have right now. Mm, okay. um, so I think evidently when I was dreaming, when I was little, people have thought that, you know, um, Korea needs to be more popular in the international stage. And I wasn't the only one probably thinking that, which led to those individuals making a difference, um, which we can see now. But mm. what I really think about Korean history or Korean culture is it's the key to the next progress, the next step in our country to be even more out there in the international world. Because, you know, BTS and mukbang and all these stuff that are being, um, you know, focused right now, it's just fame. Like, it's a big step and we worked really hard to get here, mm. but it's fame that could eventually at some point decrease and lead to people maybe forgetting it or maybe like other things like, you know, American celebrities or even pop songs, they can easily take over at, at some point. And I'm really afraid and I'm trying to use history and culture as a method for people to kind of see that mm. and have like the continuation of um, Koreans and Korean like culture and history being out there and being known to people. And I think the reason why I, I think history is so interesting and mm. um, compared to like people like my peers is because I, um, I come from, and I approach history in a little bit of a different way, where it's not just facts like written in a book to memorize for exams, but really it's about where we have come from, like as an 
evidence of human existence. Mm. And for me, I drive myself with my goal to achieve a certain level. I mean, I don't know if it's possible, but mm. I'm trying. And um, sometimes like we can see that through like historic antiquity and whereas a lot of students approach history for the first time at like school in terms of like education, mm. I approach history by myself walking in history sites, going from, you know, description panel to panel, learning all the characteristics and, you know, being scared at times because, you know, the displays were too, you know, uh, pressuring or um, sometimes being relaxed because I like the trees in the garden, you know, mm. um, those individual connections really made me to be more interested in, um, you know, a smoother segue to learning history itself. And um, like, for example, before learning about the Japanese colonial era, which is like, you know, a crucial period of Korean history, mm. um, I studied about the Sodemun Hyongmuso itself, like mm. the Sodemun prison. Yep. And instead of turning to like a thick book about all the unethical things that happened during the time, the agony and pain, I went to the prison museum myself and experienced being scared, being afraid to go into all those specific cells and what like empathizing what people would have felt during the time. And I think that's a little bit different when you just read from a book and just even reading all the wrote like handwritten um, you know, carved out letters that, mm. you know, the independence fighters have written all the, on the cells. Like, if you see those things in historic sites, you cannot not be interested. <laughs> so I think in those sense, like, because my way of studying history was like derived from passion, curiosity, and, you know, just relaxation that I liked doing during my free time, it's a little bit of different the way I approach history in such a fascinating way rather than boring yeah i i can tell already that you you must be an amazing tour guide i think i want to book because you're talking about history that you can that you can smell that you can feel that you can walk around like it's a, it's an experience rather than a stale piece of information in a book and that, that's such an interesting approach kay um you've talked about how like how you understand history how you perceive history and it's very sort of empirical and it's very hands-on and it's realistic what if i ask you this question before we go further like what is history now this was sort of a famous book by eh Carr that sort of had a really profound impact mm -hmm. on me when i read it and yeah. I, I teach it to my <laughs> students as well sometimes um but here we're questioning what actually history is now this is kind of a bit of an abstract philosophical question but do you have any thoughts on what history is Kay? this this kind of subject that interests you you've spoken about how you experience it but what is history um again very abstract question yeah, yeah, but I'm sorry. <laughs> i actually know each car's uh, what is history the book because my teacher mentioned mm. it in my ib history class and it's very famous yeah um he talks about what history is, and um, I think there's a very big debate between if history is, you know, in the realm of sciences, mm. you know, it's being, um, it's being in the column of human sciences, mm -hmm. and I think history is counted as like a human, like realm of human sciences, but it gets separated as a part of 
science like that's a little bit questionable in my sense mm. science is like der derived from you know evidence-based quantitative research about like logical reasoning and something that's different yes history can be a part of science but also a different theme like the element that makes a difference is historiography you know because mm -hmm. perspective and scope come to, into play when talking about historiography within the origin of purpose of it and I think that's a little bit different compared to science or any other subject that it's for sure um, that history is something that we should all know and repeat to not repeat the same mistakes and mm -hmm. that's a little bit different from other subjects and it connects to why we should be learning history. Yeah. Mm. yeah, whether it's a science, whether it's a humanity, but it's it it's kind of like stories and it, they're stories that we tell about ourselves to other people who pass on the stories. So there's this mm -hmm. narrative aspect of it, which is perhaps not always there in the hard sciences. And in that sense, Kay, like you're part of that narrative. You're one of these storytellers now that, that brings this on. Um, you mentioned already a little bit about Japanese colonization and the uh, independence fighters in Sodemun prison. Now, if we have a look sort of at Korean history, some people um, say that Korean history is, is a pretty peaceful thing. And, and they look at the long-standing dynasties, you know, running for centuries. And then when they transfer over to the other ones, there's not too much internal strife. Of course, it's not all peaceful and kumbaya, but it, it's very different, these scholars say, from the, the wars that spread through mainland Europe and things like this very, very frequently. Other people say that Korean history is a very tragic and traumatic and a, he a, a history of invasions and all of these bad things. So there are many perspectives on Korean history. When you look at from today back into the past about Korea, is it a, a beautiful story? Is it a sad story? Is it a positive one? Is it one of loss and tragedy? What, what's your feeling about what has gone on before in Korea? Um, I mean, I would say a mix of everything. I mean, you can't really, like, I couldn't give a specific answer to what is history. Mm. I think what is Korean history, there's no really specific, like, answer. But um, in terms of, like, when I thought, when I, when I'm talking about Korean history, we can't really leave out the factor of agony or pain. But we can't also leave out the peaceful transitions or how much like our ancestors had a great time um, enjoying these traditions and cultures and what happened during the time. And every country has its own agony. And in order for them to, for, to see growth and development, hmm. uh, there are positives to shine over the negatives. Agony and suffering sometimes follows and it's kind of a result. And Koreans have every might, right to be mad about it because of this, like, especially because, you know, apologies shouldn't be an e event or piece of paper, but really a behavior, Koreans should be mad in some aspects. And because of those, um, you know, painful situations, that's what makes our history, our history. That's what I think. And I'm not saying that Korean, like Korea is worth the praise for those agony because mm. um, it is a fact that, for example, like the Imjin War, it was one of the biggest wars that happened during the period, especially because, you know, it was even before the First and Second World War. Mm. But I think that in some aspects, um, Koreans have the tendency to um, 
like emphasize, overly emphasize, or sometimes focus too much on the victim mentality that we have. Um, yes, they have the right. But I think that the way that people kind of overcame those painful instances mm. and the peaceful transitions, like for example, of um, Kokurishima and Pekje, you know, those things could be more emphasized in order to, you know, go to like the future steps of Korean history and as writing history ourselves in present day, I think that's what we could focus on, the positives, you know, um, even though all of those things make up what Korean history is. This would be a really difficult question, but do you, do you have any idea why there is this focus on the victim mentality? Because I observe that too, and I've spoken recently to, to Dr. Kang Min-soo about Han and all these kind of things. Um, and the story of Korea could be told in many different ways. You've said that it could emphasize the positives and, and the culture and the stability. But for the most part, it seems that a lot of Korean history, not all of it, but a, a lot of it focuses on this kind of use the words victim mentality. Is there a reason for that? Does it make a better story? Does it help bring people together? Is it something inherent in the Korean people? Or is there more truth to that? Like, why do you do you have any feeling as to why that side might be emphasized more? Um, I think because it's it's just like pretty direct because it had a big influence in our ancestors. And to this day, like if you see like, um, you know, the problem of Wianbu, which mm. is like um, the woman that um, during the time and what Japanese people or like sometimes other countries have has done to our country as a smaller country between big countries like Japan and China, mm. um, it's unavoidable to talk about the, those things. And um, it was a very big, painful aspect in our country because especially I took Imjin Warren as an example, mm. um, which was also, um, you know, uh, affected by the Japanese people. Um, Till that point in Joseon Dynasty, for 200 years out of the 500, about 500 years of history of Joseon Dynasty, they didn't have a single war. So everything was peaceful and people mm. weren't expecting it. And I think because Koreans have the pure good mentality of, you know, peacefulness and uh, well-mindedness, it, it really affected us more. And I that's basically the same situations for other countries and other wars as well but because it was so evidently um existent the painfulness in our lives i think that's a little bit more of the reasons why it gets emphasized mm -hmm. but at the same time it's also used as a factor to bring us all together and um you know people say uh which is like um the people of whites and mm -hmm. Also, if you look in, um, you know, soccer matches, especially um, Korea versus Japan, like everyone's all about that. And, you know, mm. um, the results are everything for Korean people. So I think it's not a bad thing to have victim mentality and to be feel sad and mad about those things. But at the same time, we should still try. Yeah. Mm. And maybe there is the sense that, you know, you're the new generation, you're you're part of the new storytellers that it might change over time, the views of history, I think, and, and how it's perceived. Do, are there any other big or are there any misunderstandings you find with Korean history? Because a lot of the time we get, you know, just subconsciously our, our 
our ideas of history sometimes come to us through television dramas, through movies, just through the, the general public narrative. And they don't always line up with what actually happened. You know, we might watch, I'll just use one example, like Braveheart or the movie Titanic and think, yeah, I know, I know what happened. And, but it's not actually <laughs> quite what happened. Um, mm -hmm. do, do you have any thoughts about perhaps misunderstandings about Korea, Korean history? Are there things that people sometimes perhaps like get wrong or any comments on the way that Korean history is presented in dramas and movies? Um, I mean, there's definitely a lot of dramas, K-dramas regarding, you know, Joseon Dynasty, you know, Kogur Dynasty. And mm. um, uh, a lot of people come to me as a tour guide when they're coming to these, you know, palaces or history sites. They're like, oh, I've seen this setup before. I've seen it on the TV <laughs> or dramas, you know. And as much as flattering that is that they're that much interested in Korean history, a lot of some, some elements mm. that are presented or directed in the movie are you know sometimes false or it, it was set up to manipulate the storyline of the drama sure. to make it more interesting and I think that's one of the main common mistakes that people make as like as seen as a tour guide um, that people come and they expect what they've seen on TV but it's not quite the same and as mentioned before the painfulness and the agony is oh. also should be emphasized rather than you know the love story of the drama or, or um, you know um, the factual understanding must come as well within um, you know the k-drama or mm. yeah so I think that's one of the main uh, misunderstandings that people foreigners have um, as, as seen by a tour guide, but also we can't rule out the fact that Koreans also have under, like misunderstandings about other countries as well. I think mm. one of the things that I personally, while I was studying history and you know being exposed to an international community was really um, confusing was I, like if you study history, because I'm also Korean with the victim mentality, I'm, I'm kind of biased in that sense. Um, I You get the hatefulness, like, I have hatred in my mind about, you know, what happened to our people because, you know, it wasn't good stuff. But at the same time, one of the misunderstandings that Korean people have is, oh, all the Japanese are bad people, you know, mm. um, everyone's bad, you know, uh, you know, Mongol, Mongol people or like Chinese people, they did these stuff to our country and, you know, all the Japanese people are, you know, very bad people. But I think in that sense, Korean people needs to be a little bit more generous in that sense. Like I'm trying to cope with it myself as well, but, um, you know, Japanese government have like, they've been struggling with those kind of issues for a long time and it's government versus government. But when it comes to people or their culture, I think we need a lot of Koreans also misunderstand, like foreigners misunderstand our culture and history for mm. what, you know, they've seen on television or what they've heard, because, you know, history itself, it's not what you experience firsthand. It's just a different perspective of connections. We as well need to, like, cope with the differences and, you know, build on more respect for other countries as well, even though, you know, Korea's doing great, but <laughs> yeah, just one thing. <laughs> it's... It's super cool that you're even aware of your own biases and prejudices and things like that and and the hates and it's it, it's natural as well I think we we do feel them. It was um, uh, lawyer Huang Huan Yunjong when I spoke to her. She said this one thing to me, Kay. She said, um, "You know, David, if you hate someone, 
then someone will hate you too. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> it's one of the most profound things I ever heard that if you do, you know, hate other people or have these ill feelings towards other nations, then that, that might come back to your nation as well. Um, do you have to watch any of these saguks? So like saguks are, you know, but just for people listening, like these period dramas, these mm -hmm. K-dramas where people go around palaces in these handbooks and looking <laughs> Do you have to watch them to stay up to date? So when like tourists come up to you and go, is this like that drama? And you have to go, yes, no, or you don't watch them for fun or for study or... Oh, actually, I did started watching some of them just because, mm. you know, tourists come and they talk to me about it. Um, that's one of, I think, one of those studying that we also need to do and not in terms of history, because, you know, historical information already presented in the dramas should be familiar to us. But mm. in terms of studying the people and how to engage in the conversations or to make history more appealing because it can be boring sometimes to those people who visit the uh, historic sites. So I think I've watched many, but like um, dramas like, um, or like movies like Amsai or, you know, or mm. her, um, one of the new newer ones, I think it's on Netflix, Heowa. It's um, based on like um, historical um, uh, backgrounds. I think I still have to watch in order to follow up um, and kind of see, and as a tour guide and as a student has studying history, if there's things wrong or like, uh, if things are um, <laughs> directed well uh, or different in the movie compared to like the historical information I know, I notice. So that's also more fun for me to watch. And, you know, obviously I love the love line in the story, <laughs> in the dramas as well. So I, I actually quite um, enjoy watching them. <laughs> Sometimes it can be a great burden knowing history because you watch these things and you're just going, <laughs> no, no, no. And you, you can't enjoy it anymore. It's like knowing what they put in McDonald's burgers or something it changes <laughs> the experience completely um just as we're sort of coming towards your work as a tour guide here which i, I want to talk about mm -hmm. Kay. um you've mentioned some of your international experiences and things like this and uh, foreign people coming to you and asking questions now this i'm just curious about this in korea it's it's kind of common for foreign people to go around palaces wearing handbooks and things like that and you can get into the palaces for free by doing that mm -hmm. yeah um it, it are you cool with this? Do you like this? So like people rock up to you and they've got their handbox on and they're like, let's walk around the palace. Or do you think, <laughs> do you think like, that's my culture? That's my history. <laughs> like, because it's different in different parts of the world, isn't it? That kind of attitude to wearing clothes. So do, does that happen when you're doing tour guides? Are you, are you cool with it? Do you have any thoughts on these people wearing the handbox when you take them around the palaces? Um, I actually really don't mind. I actually love that foreigners are enjoying our culture and because we've been so desperate for attention. Okay, this sounds a little bit weird, but mm. because we wanted that fame and the interest from foreigners to think about our culture, experience them and, you know, engage with them for such a long time. I personally, at least, think it's a great way to engage foreigners into um you know actually experiencing what it feels like to wear hanbok that also leads to empathizing oh sometimes people might say oh it must have been so uncomfortable for women to wear all of these dresses back during the time or oh uh, in the summer it's actually quite you know nice to wear breezy like clothing like mm. i think that also interconnects of with 
what people thought during the time and that's also engaging with culture and history and um, yes some people might think oh it's our culture like why are you taking it away but that's only existent to me when people claim um, it's our thing it's not yours you know um, it's a relevant issue in China and Korea um, yeah so um, but only one concern about wearing hanboks in palaces is that actually a lot of the hanboks that people like borrow from nearby stores are actually not traditional hanbok um, design mm. so like they would take designs from like kimonos from japan or like um, chinese traditional clothing just because they're more prettier or maybe they may might be more appealing to others they um, integrate those designs into our traditional clothing and that's kind of one um, minor um, issue that i find when i think about foreigners wearing hanboks just because i'm afraid that um they're gonna, gonna get the wrong impression of oh that's what a hanbok is mm. yeah but other than that I'm, I'm loving that foreigners are enjoying wearing those um you know our customs and yeah <laughs> i'm glad you said that because there's lots of photos online of me and my family wearing hanboks <laughs> and if you said no oh, i hate it i'll be like oh maybe i have to delete these photos um but no it, it yeah it's a different thing you mentioned this um we will get to your tour guide thing eventually i promise you mentioned this kind of china uh, Korea claiming history thing. So I just want to touch on that for a second because it's been a huge topic of conversation, like the ownership of various things, whether it's kimchi, whether it's hanbok, whether it's celebrities using the right or wrong words, the cancelling of certain dramas, was it Joseon Gumasa, the, the Joseon Exorcist and things. When this happens and history becomes a huge thing on social media, I'm not talking about K-pop stars. They're not talking about, they're talking about history here. Do you feel some kind of, uh, you know, justification, pride in like, eh, it's now history. Now we're really talking. Do you, or, or do you think like, just leave it to the experts? How do you feel, Kay, when you see history becoming a really big talking point across social media discourse, which we've seen in the last 12 months or so? Um, I think... I feel I don't leave it to the experts. I think these kind of problems, which is regarding awareness and knowledge mm. about history, that just shouldn't be coming from oh experts. You know, um, I'm not an expert. Like I'm a tour guide, and I have comparably more knowledge than other people, possibly. But I think that's one of um, my responsibilities as a person who is already knowledgeable of those things or the issues about history that is present. Now it's a hot issue to um, educate the public or educate people that I can possibly think of, of why this is being problematic or why this might be a, you know, a worthy issue to talk about. And, you know, maybe if some people think differently, talk about why, why they think it's different and why I think that what they're claiming is, you know, sometimes wrong or, you know, worth talking about. And I think, definitely don't leave it to the experts but um as long as you're passing on the right information to the right people um mm. educating and spreading awareness like you know people did to black lives matter even though it's a little bit different in terms of um those stories it's a sense of awareness that more like the more people that have the better and that's what experts are trying to do get their voice out into the public and you know kind of make things the right way and that that 
you know, it's not really editing a book. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like something's written differently and we it just happens better if we edit the book and that's it. It's just the way people think forms that kind of, you know, uh, societal um, issues. And I think that's a worthy um, topic to talk about, like, all throughout. Yeah. Mm. In terms of editing a book, there's always that question. I think a couple of people did try it to to write a book of Northeast Asian history that mm-hmm. like Korean people, Japanese people, Chinese people, North Korean would all agree on. Like, mm-hmm. because if there, if history is a thing that that book should be possible, but uh, perhaps we're not quite there yet. Uh, <laughs> sadly, um, let's talk about you being a tour guide, Kay, because uh, I mean, this is one of the things you do uh, and like, I guess I want to start with these two questions. Like, how did you get into being a tour guide? Because you started doing it very young. I can't remember what grade you said, but sometimes I get confused. Like, how old is eighth grade or sixth grade? It's it's really confusing to me. So, like, how old were you when you got into it? And then when you do it, how? because I've been on lots of tours with various organizations, with the British Embassy, the Royal Asiatic Society, and there's normally a, a wonderful tour guide and she walks around like with a stick. She's a very old <laughs> lady. She's in her 70s, perhaps, but she walks around with a stick and sort of taps and points at things. And so the second question would be like, how do you do it? What is the process like if somebody were to come to Korea and go on a tour with you? What kind of what is the K experience? OK, well, firstly, I started giving tours when I was 11. So um, I was in fifth grade, (laughs) but oh, actually, no, Uh, I started studying to give tours when I was Mm. in 11th grade. So about history. And I started giving tours when I was in eighth grade. So that's like about 14 years old. So it took three years of studying time. But um, and six, I took six months of the professional course, learning how to be um, a professional tour guide when it comes to, you know, just giving tours, because sometimes you need credibility and reliability when giving tours. Mm. But um, moving on to, um, you know, what people might expect coming Mm. on my tours, I think the first priority that I think of when I come, like, when I talk to tours is that I might be the only actual local Korean that they are going to talk to, Um, you know, talking about the audience Mm. of my tours, I don't get reserved um, tourists. It's not like there's a website and people book to see me. Um, I just genuinely volunteer for free in historic sites. So like, if, for example, if it's the Gyeongbok Palace, I go there um, every month and I walk up to foreigners at subway stations near the palace or at the main gate or near the ticket box. And I ask them, do you want a tour? <laughs> do you want to know more about Korean history? Because sometimes they're looking at a map and they look puzzled and they have no idea where to go. And, you know, history is so much fun with commentation. So that's what I, um, that's the audience of my tours. And that's why I focus on um, the fact that I might be the only local person that they might meet other than, you know, people selling stuff at the store or, you know, people talking in the subway. But um, I just try to make it more engaging for the people so mm. that they would be more interested in the content. Um, you know, I would go, I could go full on content, 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 fact, 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 but sometimes that's not as fun. Um, so mm. I, I kind of 
get them to engage, know um, a little bit more about each other. Oh, where, where do you come from? What's your culture like? And I kind of try to incorporate these things that they might personally engage on, um, you know, for example, interconnecting like, um, like cultures like so let's say like a french person would come and i, I would talk about the the, um, the palace of versailles compared to kangoku mm. or um just those things that can make the um the tourists more engaged in the conversation itself drawing their attention and focus and uh, making them be favorable to korean history or culture itself what i'm trying to advocate my country for is i guess one of my themes yeah so i think one trick that I really like to use is um, making them really um, knowledgeable of what they're surrounded with in Korea because you know when sometimes when you come to Korea there's a lot of new things so um, for example when we're talking about um, it's a painting behind the throne of uh, the king's throne in the palace I, I asked them to bring out their manon bill um, and I asked them, do you see this picture? And I kind of engage and interact with real life surroundings that they can um, interact more with and engage more with. And that's, I think, one of my tactics for making people more interested in my tours. And um, that's how I kind of um, interconnect and reach my goal at, at last. Yeah. Mm. And then they might take that man one note home with them and then look at it yeah. and then remember yeah. your tours and, and mm -hmm. things like that. That's very cool. Like you said a beautiful thing, Kay, which is that, you know, you might be the only Korean that they speak to uh, on their trip here. And, and that is, you know, a, a reality. And it's so cool that you go out of your way to do it. Isn't it a bit like scary, you know, stranger danger and all that kind of thing, <laughs> like going up to, I, I mean, no disrespect. I, I'm sure you can handle yourself and stuff, but like going up to people like that and at these public spaces and saying, do you want to tour? Is there any kind of like fear or rejection or it's totally cool? Oh, oh actually. So the biggest, the highest rejection count that I've had was mm. 12 times. So <laughs> what you mean in a because, row, 12 in a row? Yeah, yeah. 12 in a row. So wow. I couldn't. So I was there and sometimes it takes minimum 20 minutes, 15 minutes to get mm. like a tourist to come with me to um, mm. to go to, into the palace. Like, for example, if we were to meet in a subway station, um, I've waited like an hour and a half max to get someone to, to mm. um, talk to me. And a lot of this comes from misunderstandings from foreign countries because I say it's a free tour and I try to put reliable like credibility on them, but sometimes it's not as uh, because I'm a young person. But mm. that's that acts as a minus and um, a plus factor in terms of giving tours. So um, sometimes people hesitate because I'm I'm a stranger. They hesitate to talk to me okay. or because they haven't talked to a Korean, you know, sometimes they're um, very startled, but at the same time, I think I'm not as stressed or pressured to talk to new people because I'm very um, extroverted <laughs> and um, li living in Korea where it's very, very safe, wherever you go. Um, I haven't really <laughs> had, had the chance. And I kind of like, eye people when I'm before mm. like talking to them, like, will I be safe? Um, throughout the next one, two, three hours that I'm going to be talking to them? Or, um, you know, are they actually reliable people that I can spend time with? That's, you know, I'm selecting them. So, <laughs> but um, as a tour guide, I think I'm not really hesitant to talk to anyone, mm -hmm. but rather they're hesitant to talk to me. Yeah. 
it's cool positivity that you have i i really dig <laughs> that so how how what kind of people do you when you said you eye them like using your mm-hmm. nunti mm-hmm. which kind yeah, of people yeah. do you do you think like they'll be good for a tour they might say yes what are the giveaways is it like a pair of crocs is it a bum bag is it a camera <laughs> i don't know but like how do you eye them what what are the giveaways um, well sometimes it's uh i mean i one of my merits for giving tours is i interact with like diverse people whether that's occupation gender age difference or um you know nationality mm. but um you know just using my Korean nunchi and <laughs> um, some pe- sometimes it's just um, three men against me. I-, I don't know how I feel about that. I do have experience giving tours to people like that, but sometimes it's just a nice family group who has um, children the age of me or like younger, or sometimes it's just um, ladies who come um, as like a girl's trip to Korea. So it, it really depends on the weather how I feel that day, the mood, mm. how moody I feel, you know, <laughs> and if I'm feeling adventurous, I would, I would go talk, but all, there's always that safe option that I can rely on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. In, in <laughs> I really like that. Yeah. And it's real, like your mood and things like that, how you feel that day in your book, Kay, when I was reading that you talk about like, uh, coming to this realization that when giving a tour and you've said that your age is like a plus and a minus, it can work for you and against you. But then this you, the realization you have of being a tour guide and your appearance to look respectful, your clothes, your hair, your uniform, like what's that like? Do you have any comment on this idea so when you're walking around these places it's almost as if you're you become a representative of the nation don't you you become a representative of korea like, like i could see you like smiling at this as if to say <laughs> i i could think you're going like yes that's right yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what's that like Kay, doing that um I, I, I would say I definitely feel like a, re- a representative and like I've mentioned before, I might be the only Korean they talk to. So mm. I always want to feel prepared and um, sometimes giving that credibility, whether that's because of my age or because um, I'm a foreigner or because, you know, I'm Korean that they want to know more about. Um, I want to be prepared as much as possible. And that comes from appearance as well. So sometimes I, I always am in uniform, so um, I am a part of this organization, which um, a group of teen guides um, give tours, but we have our uniform, it's orange, so anyone can spot us wherever we go, you can mm. see us from like two blocks down, <laughs> and um, I sometimes wear white gloves just to give the credibility and uh, to look professional, but you know, if you just walk up, just pull up pull up to the um tour like historic site with a pair of crocs like you mentioned or you know baggy jeans Mm. i don't i don't know if people are going to be as um you know and because i'm i'm not a part of the palace tour tour guide um Mm. i'm not like um one of the people that the palace actually have instructed and um gathered people for my tour because I reach out to people. I think that's especially more important when coming to being prepared visually or, um, you know, sometimes um, thinking about what they might question me for and if I'm available to respond to those questions. So, yeah. 
Is there a? I love the white gloves. Like Korean people,、yeah. the white gloves mean you're official and you're working. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's a bit TMI, but when I got married, the one thing that I refused to do was wear white gloves. It's like I, I do everything else, like I wear the, the tux. Yeah, absolutely. I, the tux, I'm all good, and the dance, the waltz, we do all that. But like, I was like, no white gloves. <laughs> They're very common here, aren't they?、Um, yeah. Let's talk about some of these sites. I think, Kay.、Um, you you already mentioned it a little bit, but like Sodemun Prison,、mm-hmm. this is a pretty heavy place. Like,、yeah. why you? Pr- so there might be people listening to this that don't have、uh, any background information about Sodemun Prison or anything. So I guess can you explain to us what it is and the position it plays in Korean history? Why it's important? What does this prison stand for? What does it mean? Um, okay, so Sodemun Prison was built during the Japanese colonial era with the purpose of,、um, you know, having independence fighters or people that were, you know, let's say problematic in in the society in the eye,、um, with the objective perspective, subjective perspective of、mm. Japanese people to、um, put them in cells, and you know that's the purpose of what a prison is, but. The reason why it was built in Sodemun, which is a local,、um, a local place in Seoul, is because as they were transitioning from a military force kind of、um, tactic to、um, colonize、uh, the Joseon Dynasty,、um, as they were changing from that military.、Um, Tactic. They changed to a cultural tactic. You know,、um, for instance, like having people cut their hair because our tradition was having long hair, whether、mm-hmm. that's、um, men or women,、um, or in some aspects, not letting people speak their language.、Um, but this came in through during those times where、um, the Japanese thought cultural colonization was more important. So they built a prison in the middle of the city. To give、um, awareness and just that pressure for people, and for people to acknowledge that oh, if you do something wrong in our subjective、um, standards, you might go there as well. And、um, it was really controversial where you're, if you were going to take part in the independence fight or not.、Mm. Um, some people like this is very controversial in Korea as well. But some people betrayed Koreans and they also worked for the Japanese. And some people were、um, fighting. So hard, and you know, getting killed by the Japanese, getting tortured, and I,、um, this is one of the prisons that that was that was present. So a lot of famous independence fighters, um, uh, like Yu Guan Sun, um,、mm. she's one of the、uh, very young independence fighters. Actually, I think she was my age when she died, but um, she also um was um. Present here, and a lot of、uh, very famous independence fighters were present here, and、um, they suffered through um, tortures um, and, like you know, work labor,、um, like the Auschwitz、um, prison in Germany.、Um, very similar, but in that sense, this is why it's a very hefty topic to talk about. And、um, you know, historic sites. It's very the atmosphere itself is very scary. Yeah.、Mm. <laughs> Does the does the Yuguan Sun story like resonate with you? Does that add to the? I I don't want to say the word the fascination with the prison, but does it help you understand it? Does it help you empathize or sympathize? Does, um, and again, there might be some people that are not too sure about the Yuguan Sun story, so we might have to、mm-hmm. explain it. But、mm-hmm. does that help sort of you 
feel the reality of what these historical sites were, help them come alive to you when you sort of narrate and tell these stories? Um, well, I'm, I kind of want to elaborate more on the Yubanzun story, so just yeah. that people can um, get the understanding. But um, so in Korea, we have um, the three, uh, the March 1st um, movement mm. that actually we take days off now to, um, uh, you know, give respect. But uh, in that March 1st movement, which is one of the critical um, elements that pressured ja the Japanese to gain independence back for our country, um, Yu Guansun, a um, female independence fighter, actually took part and was very influential in that movement um, to drive Korea towards a little bit closer towards independence. And she, after that incident and um, a lot more um, like influential things that she did to fight for um, independence, she was prisoned in this Sodemun prison that we're talking about. And to get back to the question, I think, Yes, definitely. And now that I think about it, um, because we're similar age, a Korean girl living in Korea, I can't imagine doing those things that she did to fight for our country, even though I love our country. It's just so like, it's very great things that um, people do in, in order to establish that. And I, I feel so bad every time I go back to the prison and imagine the things that they all the independence fighters went through because if you go there um there's a museum part and then there's actually the cells and um the pe um you know um systems that they used back then um mm. to kind of reiterate and um and help people imagine what it was really like back at the time and just thinking of these specific scenarios like you gone soon or what who that independence fighter is thinking about that and thinking what they have gone through in those exact places it really makes me empathize and you know um feel more respect to, to those people and i think that's really um you know triggers me to love our career um, our country more and um you know advocate for our country in that sense yeah how do the tourists how do the the foreign people react when you're telling them about <clears throat> death and torture and these kind of crimes inflicted against innocent people, independence fighters, young women, because talking to UK, you're obviously a very positive person. You, you know, you, you're very bright, you're very yeah. uh, vibrant, <laughs> but this is heavy stuff and you're having to convey the heaviness of this. Like, how does that get across? And I guess also, does it have any sort of effect on you as a person because i'm just imagining if you were experiencing this like once sometimes is enough you know if you watch a heavy movie or read a heavy book you're like you know that's that's enough for now like i'm gonna go and watch some drama or some disney but you know how do the how do the tourists react to it and does it have any kind of effect on you i guess as well having to constantly relive this mm. well i guess I think I can share the first time that I brought somebody to listen to my tour in Sodemun, which is actually my mom and my brother. And I think <laughs> my brother's five years younger than me. So wow. um, when, when, we, when we first went there for me to study how to give tours, he was very, very young. And I still remember vividly that my brother hesitated to go into the museum itself 
um, where they were displaying like torture methods and stuff mm. because it was so scary. And he was with the young mindness and I was even scared to go in it myself, you know, um, it was really hesitant for me to study those topics and thinking about like, it's very abstract when you think about, oh, independence fighters, like they were hundreds hundreds or tens of years away but at the same time if you actually look at those things it's very different mm. and when i tell these things that me as my brother has felt to foreigners who kind of um is disconnected from that feeling of being the same country like they don't have the same nationality they don't have the same culture they don't they're not aware of what people think like in Korea about these specific events it's mm. kind of sometimes a um, struggling factor for me to help them connect with those cultural aspects or the historic aspects and um, this is really kind of sad in the sense that people hesitate to visit Sodemon prison actually like mm. um, regardless of what if they want a tour or not there are generally really really less people in Sodem prison compared to other historic sites like um Gyeongbokgung or any of the five palaces mm. um because Sodem prison is such a hefty topic and if they're like if a person is really interested in history they would visit it and i have given tours there to foreigners and i have had people living in korea ask me how to get there or um what i need to what they need to know before going into the prison but at the same time when tourists come because you know it's traveling they want to be happy it's kind of they're kind of hesitant to visit those places and i mm. think that's one of my goals also for them to connect and sometimes feel sad for what our country has gone through and sometimes um you know have them gain knowledge about these specific things so sometimes as a person repeating that over and over again i kind of have to get a strong mindset of it's okay it's already over but I, what really matters is i need to get this out i need to get the word out for people to be more knowledgeable about this or um because even to koreans because these sufferings were there and because these tortures and this prison the time that they have spent in this specific place was present that's the reason why we are able to be people who we are right now as Koreans. Mm. And I think that's um, instead of like reliving the torture and, you know, I, I think every time I do that, I get more, I gain more respect and I gain the importance of those uh, history sites. Yeah. Do you, yeah, brilliant answer. Do you, um, <clears throat> do you see many Korean people on the, the tours to Sodemun prison? I'm just wondering like if more, Korean people went because you say some people are hesitant, you know, and it's <clears throat> excuse me. If it's a warm Saturday afternoon, it's like, let's go visit Sodebud prison. It's not the immediate thing. Do you see many Korean people there? Do you think more Korean people should visit? Is there is there something that could be done to encourage or do you think enough people are already aware of the realities of it? Mm, um, I think they're aware that a place like that exists like mm. um it's in current textbooks and history history textbooks or if i say the word sodemon prison or if i ask someone oh do you know what a sodemon prison is they would know the existence of it but they mm. wouldn't completely be sure like me oh what it is and why this the importance they wouldn't get it but actually 
um, very surprising. I'm uh, quite pr- proud of this. Um, when I go to history sites like that, a mm. lot of mothers or like parents bring their children to educate the, um, their children about the places. So, um, or pe- like some schools even, they go on field trips to like other the palaces or um, the Sadaemun prison. And actually, because there's less foreigners in Sadaemun prison, like as a history sites, mm. when I go there to give tours, like, um, you know, some uh, now here, now and then, um, I would actually fail to find a foreigner. So I would end up giving tours in Korea to Korean people. And they would be, um, you know, appreciative that I'm sharing these knowledges. And um, I think that's kind of one thing that I would want to get more Koreans um, to actually visit the palace and study like the specific details and the importance of it. Like I am trying to get foreigners to do that. But at the same time, there are people, um, especially like, kids um, brought by their um, their parents or um, mm. schools going on field trips which I think is a way to start on that um, you know um, getting the experience and the importance of it yeah if you give a uh, tour in Korean to Koreans or if you give it in English to other people does it change of course the language changes but mm-hmm. do you do you turn up the violence? Do you turn down the suffering? Do you change the narrative? Uh, do you emphasize certain things? Do, do different things resonate? Do you do you not pull out the man one or does it change according to the audience, Kay? Um, I think in in some aspects, I'm very hesitant to talk about these sufferings to foreigners because in a third person perspective, it might just sound like, oh, she's just saying that because it's her own country. And yeah, I get it. I get it. Your, your country all went through painful situations, but they, they, they don't empathize with it they don't get get what it was actually like so when i'm talking to foreigners that's actually my priority and that might sometimes be oh um you know talking about extreme torture methods or um you know um specific situations that might actually interconnect with them more and or help their understanding but i don't go up to foreigners all the time necessarily saying oh um our country was like this and you know not i don't give them like as much general information because sometimes that might be very um tiring for the other person to hear think think about Mm. but at the same time um if i talk to koreans about it i i have to go in more in-depth detail about what it was generally like during the time but also adding on the specific factors as well. But it's actually quite easier to get, um, you know, empathy or um, having people to engage in the conversation if it's a Korean person, because, you know, they are a part of um, the identity of um, the victim mental mentality that people have. So I think there's that bit of a difference, but it's not necessarily, oh, I would take out this factor in order to satisfy this, but it's just the way I talk. And Mm. I think when I'm talking to a foreign person, I need objectivity and less bias when I'm um, talking about like these type of um, very um, touchy subjects. So, yeah. I know, I know the feeling exactly. Whenever I'm doing history or something, if, if Britain comes up or the United Kingdom, I'm always very hesitant to say something. Cause it's like, <laughs> you, you think I'm just going to say this because I'm British myself, but no, it's, it's not like that. It's just, it is what it is. Is there anything, Kay, that we've missed about Sodom in prison? Like it, before we move on to perhaps some of the palaces, is there anything that we've left unsaid or is there anything that we need to address about Sodom in prison or? Um, I think, 
on that note, I need to open the door. Okay. Um, so I'll right, be right back. Yeah, go, <laughs> go, go. Sure, sure. Yep, I'm back. <laughs> um, I just, not really um, anything specific, but I just really want to mention that people should visit Seodaemun prison other mm. than, um, you know, like it's always good to visit a lot of historic sites, but I, I highly recommend. And if, if you go visit um, the historic sites, I think one of the things that, you know, tourists or panels like this group panels fail to mention is that you should take a look at um, the specific cells and the floors and the walls because they, like people have written specific words like live or like um, let's fight. Um, mm. in those cells and I think that really gave a big impression on me to empathize with um, the people that live um, in those cells and what they have felt um, fighting those through those um, traumatic situations so yeah yeah it must be incredibly moving to see those and it, it's like a, a time capsule I guess isn't it when you mm -hmm. see yeah the, those those messages there carved there um <laughs> Yeah, thank you for that. It's amazing what you do with such a difficult um, topic. And one, like you say, I think, which is also actually still a little bit connected to modern day politics. You know, it, it's a very difficult because it's not only history, but, you know, that Japanese colonization and it, it's still very much tied into to modern life here. Um, let's talk about palaces, perhaps, because that's what a lot of people might associate with. And, and many people might have done these tours. Um, now, before we get into that, actually, I, I wanted to ask you about Korean royal families in general. Now, you know, I, we just spoke about my my Britishness. Um, <laughs> we have Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. So I, I, I've grown up with royal families and uh, lots of places in Europe still have uh, royal families. Mm -hmm. Constitutional monarchs. They don't like rule over us with a stick, but they're there <laughs> on our money and in our ceremonies. What's your take on Korean royal families in general? Um, there was even a Korean emperor for a few years, wasn't there, from 1897 or something. But like, do you ever do you ever wish for a day of Korean kings and queens to return, Kay? Or is it kind of this weird thing? What's, what's your take on the royal families in general here? Um, I think one of the reasons why, and I think we've mentioned this, that... Um, Korea, um, history, Korea history, of history, uh, history of Korea. What am I saying? <laughs> Sorry, um, yeah. Korean history. They have had a big peaceful, like peaceful, um, you know, interventions of royal families and um, the connections and very peaceful transitions. And I think one of the things that is worth mentioning is those peaceful um, transitions before Joseon dynasty has led to the royal families that were existent in the Joseon dynasties. And I sometimes think for my like uh, fantasy that, oh, what would it be like if Korean like royal families were still existent? But I would actually, it wouldn't be bad, I think, because in during the Joseon dynasty, even though, you know, there were like a lot of drama within the royal family and, mm. you know, who's going to be the next king and stuff like that. But there other than the royal family, like you can see in K-dramas, there were officials um, that were, um, you know, they take the 
test and they mm-hmm. you know get elected as as the officials and i think the joseon dynasty and um, the royal family kind of um coped very well with those um office like officials and the royal family and um the power that was distributed was very equal in terms of like i mean of course the king was um superior but at the same time um the royal family is very well preserved and um considering that they had a dynasty for 500 years and even before that there were many dynasties um like i've mentioned connecting up to that Mm. um i think um that was really one thing that I should mention, because I mean, if we compare it to Russian, Russian history, for example, Stalin, when he rose to power, all of his contenders were, you know, they were either dead because Stalin wanted them to, or they were, um, you know, they were steered away from the power. But at, like, for example, um, you know, the three um, kingdom period, even though they have constantly fought over who was in charge of um, like, in terms of unifying the country, they still had all the um, people, like their contenders were all alive, which is kind of the reason why there's so many um, Kims and Parks and Lees in Korea right now. But I think though in those sense that um, rural families in Korea, Korean history itself, they have been really developed well in terms of, um, you know, having a very peaceful transition and, um, you know, just dividing power and staying in power as well. So I think generally I have a very positive um, mindset about it. Mm. And not too many gulags, which is a good thing. You mentioned Stalin <laughs> there. Yeah, the, the fewer gulags we have and and you are a park. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Part of the, the story of Self-K. Um, let's talk a bit. Let's start with Eunhyun. Eunhyun-gung, Eunhyun Palace, because you do tours there. Um, yeah. This is like more of a residence than a palace, I think. We'll, we'll mm-hmm. bring this place to life for us, Kay. Let us let us understand Eunhyun Palace. Okay. Um, I think even Koreans, when we talk about Eunhyun Palace, a lot of people might be um, a lot less familiar about this, mm. just because um, the main a lot of people are um, well known about the five main palaces of the Joseon dynasty because, but because Eunhyun Palace is kind of like a little bit different in the sense that you've mentioned it's a res- it's a residency and it was actually a private um, residence of um, the father of the 26th king, um, as well known as Hyunseon Deonggun, because the 26th king was not a um, blood heir to the throne i mean he was like the cousin of the previous king the 25th king so um his father um actually was in power for a very very long time instead of the 26th king because when he um started like when he became king he was seven years old so obviously he couldn't really um take control so his father kind of um took in the country and he made very very big changes which was also controversial during the time in terms of like falling policies and stuff um he remained as a very very important character in history and that's why people um his residency become one of the palaces as, as well so we call it that you know, palace yeah what does it look like? So I'll, I'll, I'll perhaps try to bring up some pictures or something like, uh, what does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it smell mm-hmm. like? You're walking around it, uh, this 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 place. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Can you paint a picture for us, Kay? Uh, so there's a very, very 
high fence around the house, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's um, standing for high dignity and um, important person lives in there. Mm -hmm. And obviously it's a tiled roof house, which is um, understanding of a high person, like um, royalty or a very um, high, not a common commoner's house, yeah. Mm. Um, there's a very big gate, also high gates stand for um, high dignity, um, interest in dynasty. And when you walk in, there's a big field, uh, like a front yard kind of, sense um mm. if you compare it to um you know far, foreign houses but and then you go in and the structure itself is very very um compared like very very comparable to um just basic uh style of trans, uh, korean traditional houses at, back at the time because the traditional housing you have um a uh, men's quarters called the Taramte and then the women's quarters called the Ante. And the Ante is always inside compared to um, the men's living quarters because men's living quarters were um, used more frequently by guests or and they were protecting the women's living quarters from being seen out in the outside because women's were, women were to um, only work in the households and um, men were a little bit more social. Like um, I think a lot of countries traditionally are familiar of so that's like the general outline of what it looks like so there's um, men's living quarters women's living quarters and um a little and some um, buildings are used for um, servants that work through through the house and stuff but yeah overall very calm peaceful place and it's actually really really close to the secondary palace um which is Changdeokgung, and it's between Changdeokgung and Gyeongbokgung the first uh the main palace so mm. um it's placed really really sent like in central seoul yeah the let's get we'll get on to a uh, Changdeokgung in a second, but like you mentioned, these kind of inside outside rooms, and like for the women, there would be the anbang or the the inside mm -hmm. rooms, and so mm -hmm. women would be in the private, men would be in the public. Do you have any take? I mean, sometimes when we watch the dramas or the, or the movies or the sagas, it, it, it's very romantic, and women walk around in beautiful handbooks and paintings and writing poetry. <laughs> but do you get any sense? We, we you spoke about the reality of Sodemun uh, prison, and you spoke about you know being there, and you were able to put yourself in that position and feel that that pain, that fear, the reality of life inside that residence inside um Unhyun, Unhyun -gung. Mm -hmm. what does that feel like to you does it feel grand does it feel sort of very separated in that male and female thing do you have any take from your modern perspective on what life was like inside on a day-to-day -day basis um i would definitely say the palace itself is um grand not grand as you know the main five palaces but mm -hmm. At the same time because it was a place um a house of a very very high official um i think it it, it is very comparably big to other um, traditional houses especially in seoul because it's very um concentrated um mm. since it's the capital but at the same time i in my modern perspective because i'm a very outgoing adventurous person and um i also um highly believe in um gender equality um i i think in some aspects women are very um concentrated in a small like area of space because just because they couldn't go out and their so their social um you know interpretation as women are very restrict restricted and 
that meant that behaviors that they did, even within their quarters, were limited into certain stuff. They, um, you know, a lot of I think a lot of people say, oh, that's not, you know, that's not feminine enough. You know, um, mm-hmm. the clothes you're wearing is not like, oh, it's not girly enough. You know, nowadays in the modern life, people acknowledge. Um, the problems with that and they deal with to um, like they deal, deal to overcome gender inequality but at the same time because it's traditional and I can't really exclude this because it is a, a part of our culture um, you know women were restricted and men were socially more outgoing and sometimes men also um, dealt with problems with that because you know there were too mu- too much pressure to um, you know succeed in the Quago test or mm-hmm. there were too much pressure to as the first firstborn male in the family um, you have to take on the family and um, there were pressure for men but at the same time you know it's existent in like literature books or um, just books written by um, women like in the late Joseon period that um, some people some women were really restricted and that really made them feel um, small as an individual itself and that's where like as it got into the modern days like um, during the like as foreign um, culture started coming in with America, England, even Japan, um, that's kind of where women kind of started to get a little bit liberated. And um, even that's present, like it's evident in their like uh, customs and the, the way they dress, like their dresses need, like used to be really, really big, but as time passes on, it's more about convenience. So mm. yeah. Yeah, that's a, it's a really good perspective, okay, that you understand that and how, like, you would get this liberation of women, like uh, Mary Scranton would start educating women with Iwar and things like this, and you get Shin Yosong and new women yeah. with short hair and different things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Um, let's come on to some of that perhaps towards the end of the conversation. But we did mention um, Changdeokgung, uh, Changdeok Palace, and this is one of this is the secret garden right and i just want to is that where that yes i get confused sometimes i i get confused with british palaces as well it's not just about korea but um it's amazing walking around this place we've done it like anytime relatives or friends come to korea we're like yay let's go to the secret garden just because it sounds so good um Tell us, tell us about this place because it's in the middle of the city, but there's so much wonderful landscape there, isn't there? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think so. The secondary palace, Changdeokgung Palace, is very comparable to the main palace, Gyeongbokgung, in the sense that the main palace is very formal and structured well. Like even if you look at the building structures, it's um, one behind another and another and another, and they're um, um, placed very um, in a straight line, but comparably the second dairy palace not just this um the secret garden but mm. um the the residency area before the secret garden as well mm. it's very um liberated in the sense that um it's its focus was to connect with nature so um whereas they would prefer um lined up um, structures of buildings um the secondary palace really focused on um having people to connect more with nature and you know looking at what is beautiful around them and because there was the mountain in the back and you know um Seoul itself is connected with um uh, Fort Mountains around um the, the capital mm. um they really try to focus on that and even the secondary palace um a lot of the buildings inside is they don't have walls 
the um they sometimes have windows if they were um con like constructed like comparably later or they have like a lot of pavilions with no walls that they mm. can enjoy a lot of ponds and a lot of trees and nature and i think that's kind of really um something that our ancestors wanted back in the days because um actually one of the religions called um Tokyo or like a lot of um just basic knowledge that our ancestors produced was really highly interconnected with nature like um even like the the placement of the buildings like pesanimsu if if you would understand um you had to have like a house um in certain positions and i think that's what people thought was really important and obviously the royalty wanted to enjoy that and i think they recognized the beauty of our nature back in the days so i think yeah <laughs> I want to ask you about that kind of geomancy or feng shui mm -hmm. or, or mm -hmm. in Korean like pung shu or the, the, mm -hmm. these different words. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but before that, like this idea of a secondary palace, Kay, mm -hmm. um, and, and, and they're relatively close to each other in distance. It's not like yeah. having one in the capital and then you have like one in Scotland mm -hmm. or Busan or Marseille <laughs> or something, right? They're, they're, they're relatively yeah. close, but mm -hmm. is it like one's for the king and the other uh, why is it the secondary palace who lives there is, do they go like there in the afternoon or is it a permanent mm -hmm. residence for different people i guess the question is why is it the secondary palace mm -hmm. well i think one of the main reasons why there were five palaces and um no they didn't you know travel in the afternoon and the king was very very busy in all of the royal family and considering that their royalty there there were a lot of structure and um formal like formal like instructions or you know just steps that they needed to take in order to um get a king settled in certain places but the reason why there were so many palaces and especially for the secondary palaces because the first main palace um Gyeongbokgung, was destroyed for a long time so during the japanese colonial era um the palace was used but it was um you know captured by the japanese people and also um after the imjin war everything was burnt down in in, in seoul um by the japanese so um as far as i know um the Gyeongbokgung was actually very very used for a short period of time at the start of um at the, at the start of the dynasty and at the towards the end of the dynasty because actually the king uh the king's father who lived in unhyeonggu that we talked about before the father of the 26th king um he actually started reconstructing um the main palace after the um after it burnt down during the imjin war so that's why um these secondary palaces and these other pa main palaces that are in Seoul kind of started um coming into place and that's why they um, needed more structure and all of the palaces actually used to be way way Way, way much bigger um like for instance the main palace right now it's only um they're reconstructing more more and more day by day but it originally it used to be only one um one tenth of what it originally used to be so in that sense because the main palace was um not able to be in use um that's why there were more emphasis on the secondary palace and mm -hmm. because it couldn't be in the same characteristics they um implemented this idea of nature and connecting with them and they need because they needed the comfort yeah that idea of nature you um you blew my mind a little bit with the idea of pavilions because you know i, I see the pavilions and the ponds there's lots of pavilions mm -hmm. and ponds right in mm -hmm. in changdokgung but i never realized that they were 
houses without walls in a sense or that they were wallless so that you could see i just thought there was something else but i didn't realize that there would be that intent behind it so that you could be inside but with no barriers to the outside if you know what i mean i i, I just didn't <laughs> perceive it that way although of course yeah. now i feel very embarrassed by that but um, <laughs> no. that's why we're here um you mentioned this kind of like <clears throat> Taoist influences and and geomancy and do you kind of believe in that then you, you're walking around these palaces and you're like well and if we put it to the east here this brings good luck and this is done for <laughs> good fortune an auspicious oh. thing and if the sun comes here and the big mountains there there's lots of this in korean history isn't there and yeah. there's kind of belief in spirits and shamanism and sanshin uh, mm -hmm. and all of this stuff. does that like the the trials and tribulations of Yuguan Sun have come down to you and you've felt some of them. Do you, <laughs> do you believe in like the spirits and magic of the palaces a little bit? Or? Mm -hmm. Um, actually, well, there's a few different um factors like you mentioned, like um shamanism and and um yin and yang actually and uh, feng shui and a lot of things are in incorporated in Korean history and Korean architecture itself. But what I personally think, well, I don't believe in shamanism or, or you know, you know, um, you know, because the crown prince had to be in the east because the sun rose from the east. I don't believe like such good luck necessarily, mm. but I think that our ancestors were really smart in the way of using their um, materials having the same um things that they could manipulate into certain aspects because uh, for example let's take feng shui and uh that meant that no, there you had to be a mountain behind um the house and there you it, like a river should be water should be in front of the house and that's kind of actually really smart for them because they can manipulate the wind and um the very nice nature around them so that they while they were living in those houses it was very convenient so in that sense i don't really believe that oh um you know because they did that oh our ancestors had more luck and they um they that's why they succeeded not in that sense but i think it was very smart for them to manipulate those um aspects or the materials that they had already to build um, some type of structure and rules in, in terms of um, like in Korea, there were a, like a big chunk of land, but at the same time, where to manipulate into our use was very important in that sense. So, yeah, I think um, I think I don't believe in such um, necessity, but I mm. think it's it was very smart for our ancestors to do that. Yeah. If you imagine telling a group of people, if you have a mountain at the back and the stream in front, it'll be good for the wind and you can do this. People are just going to go, yeah, yeah, shut up. I'll do it where I want. But if you tell them, hey, if you do this, it'll be magic. You'll get good luck. People will go, oh, OK. It's, like, it's just about how you tell them. Just lie to them. It's yeah, it's yeah. magic, man. They'll believe it. Um, I don't. I, I when I maybe I missed it when I was reading your book, but I don't have any questions here about Gyeongbuk Palace. Do, do we but we've spoken about it a little bit do we need to say something about that like do you do tours there do you do those there as well oh actually the board if i didn't include kemo palace which um i'm in, in the editing process so it's kind of like fluffy in my brain but mm. um if i didn't include kemo palace it was because it was too basic in my sense mm. um I, I, I would say that I've given the most tours in Gyeongbok Palace and it's one of my favorite uh, historic sites definitely because it shows the traditional 
sense of Korean history and Korean architecture. And it's so beautiful. And it's one of the faces of Korea mm. in, in some aspects. So, I mean, yeah, we could touch on Kumla Palace if you have any questions or, um, yeah. <laughs> what does it mean today to, to Koreans? Like, I'm asking you here a ridiculous question, which is to speak for 50 million South Korean people, which obviously you can't do, but... When I was speaking to Sihun last week, we talked about, mm -hmm. you know, presidents moving out of Chongwa Day and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, mm -hmm. I can't imagine the president moving out of his house. It's the president's <laughs> house. And, you know, in we had I had to understand that in Korea, places might resonate differently and have different things. So my question for you, Kay, is what does Kyungbuk Palace mean? What does it represent? What does it stand for? What are the images or the values associated with it? What does it what does it mean to Korean people? Is it just a historic site? Is it something more than that? What do you think? Um, I think for me individually, it feels more. Um, if I say, oh, name one place that you give tours, I would definitely say, oh, Kyungbuk Palace. Um, but and I think it's quite the same to a lot of people back that lived back in the days in Joseon Dynasty, because um, Korean like Joseon was all about formality and structure. And um, I think in that sense, Campbell Palace was a big, big um, influence to the people as their dignity and um, the royalty that the country had. And um, actually. That was one of the reasons why the father of the 26 kings decided to rebuild the palace because I that he thought that they needed um, a wave of motivation, um, a wave of um, getting back on their feet after a big war or a Japanese colonial era, or um, they needed protection. And I think the palace is a very, very significant um, infrastructure in terms of um, the history itself. It shows the hundreds and hundreds of years of history that they have gathered. And um, obviously, because, I mean, it wasn't always present because it was um, down and it was reconstructed and everything. But I think um, all of the Koreans would also agree that it is one of the representatives of the, um, the pride that we have in our um, Korean history sites or Korean history or um, the treasures that we have. Yeah, mm. because it's not just it's not just a building. There's so many small details that like is derived from our ancestors' wiseness that is that can be present in the palace. So it's definitely a significant um, architecture. Yeah. And it's right there in the middle of downtown Seoul. That's the that's the interesting yeah. thing about it. Like yeah. you're going through traffic jams and traffic lights, <laughs> and then it's sort of boom. Mm -hmm. There it is. And it it seems to have almost grown. Uh, you mentioned this, but it seems to have grown in the in the, the time that I've been in South Korea with the reconstructions and sort of the mm -hmm. opening of it. It's It seems to be growing in its presence over the years rather than shrinking. Mm -hmm. And even they're doing like excavating in a, yeah, around yeah. the area, aren't they? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, one thing for sure is because Seoul has been growing itself um, and it's getting busy and busy by the day, they actually had to move um, one of these stone, stone um, structures. Um, it's called Hechi in front of the palace. They had to move it back because the road was getting so much bigger. And um, as they're reconstructing the palace, they're finding more and more treasure like buried within the palace grounds or something. So like, for example, Hyangwonjong, which is one of the very beautiful pavilions in Gyeongbokgung, um, it took 
a, a very, very long time than expected to uh, finish reconstruction because they were finding so much treasure. So I think it's a good thing that we're finding more about history, but at the same time, we have to be really be careful on the process of reconstruction not to um, you know hurt, damage anything or at the same time as we are building we have to be very um, objective and based on what it was like before yeah i'm always hesitant to ask questions because if I, I i sound stupid hetchy are those kind of like lion things mm -hmm. Am I, can you tell me they're not lions are they though yeah, well, no. No. <laughs> i know but I, I can visualize them in my mind <laughs> But they're not lions. They they look a bit like a Pokemon or something that my kids watch. <laughs> what are they, Kay? Can you just? Um, it's actually imaginary animals. Um, so it's it resembles a lion, but its purpose was to give. Um, yeah, it, it, that's close. It, yeah, it's close. <laughs> uh, its purpose was to scare the people to live a good like a good, um, very um day-to-day -day, like trusted life mm. and um some some believe that it breeds fire fire and some people say that um you know if you do something bad in the streets it'll like eat you alive <laughs> so the purpose of it was to um kind of guide people to the right direction with the fear but yeah <laughs> it's like a mangte halabudi or something like that or a <laughs> yeah. boogeyman for kids it's yeah like, definitely yeah, that's you'll get you um this is when we just talk about reconstruction, this is a bit of a sensitive question. And um, I, I ask it respectfully. And it, it's when I walk around some of these palaces, they sometimes don't look as old as they're told to be. And so like, you know, they'll say, oh, this is from the 1400s. And I'm looking <laughs> at it going, I don't think that looks like. And so it might be my ignorance. It might just be the communication. It might be well, no, it has to be restored and uh, and things like that. So it's just my personal experiences of going to these places. Um, do you do you, uh, do you have any comments on that? Is is it something a bit too touchy or like? Do you understand the point that I'm making here? That sometimes the the dates and the actual physical structure seem a bit different in my mind. Mm -hmm. um, well, actually, this is actually a very controversial issue in in the history like department. I guess okay. in, in Korea as well, because um, so one of the things that is very evident in, in one of the plus, plus factors in the Korean architecture is Tancheng, which is the traditional Korean pattern. And um, people paint only paint palaces and temples because it was um, where the presence of Holy Spirit, like the king or, um, you know, the Buddha was present in. But it's a very big identity when it comes to um, palaces, Korean palaces itself. And as time goes on, even though um, like our ancestors like did a lot of things, like for example, putting bushi, which is um, like a net for um, to prevent birds from making nests because they're mm. um, they can cause um, damage to, to the paintings, even though there were um, certain efforts like that to prevent damage of those patterns it still fades away as time goes on and um, the, the rain and all the environmental factors. But um, Koreans have been going on under like a big issue of whether people should repaint that or if they should leave it like that. And also like the reconstruction of buildings as well. And that's very controversial. But one thing I do to prevent misunderstandings, like um, what you might have or what people might think as well is I 
try to mention that this was under construction because certain reasons and that's why um it looks it may look like a little bit more new than um, what you have expected but this is the same exact um like copy of what it used to be because we actually um ascribe um the annals of the Joseon dynasty it shows very descriptive ways to how they have um been they were drive to produce a certain kind of um like uh architecture and there's specific ways and um they give instructions of how to make it as well so that their purpose itself was to preserve the architecture or preserve their records of what um they were living like for the future generations so i um, tried to emphasize that in my um tours yeah I think that's a cool thing that you do that. That would probably help. Um, you mentioned this controversy about whether things should be like repainted or uh, what would you do if you were in charge of the Korean historic organization and, uh, and things like that? What would be your approach to restorations or reconstructions or leaving it? Or how do you think this should take place with these obvious locations, buildings of such national significance, what do you think should be done? I also have like controversial opinions in my in my head. Like some part of me is like, yeah, it's for the foreigners. They can see it more clearly and you know it's more pretty and there's plus factors when you do repaint it. But at the same time in my other part of my brain, it's like, but you know, the damaged version in some sense it also brings beauty because it shows like how old it is and the long traditions and stuff but yeah i i actually don't know but i think for me like my controversial slots in my brain mm. i may probably repaint some of them probably leave some of them um because there are some damaged buildings um to the extent where you can't really see if it's the actual color of the wood or if it's actually patterns drawn on it so yeah i think that's also what the korean government is doing yeah i think that makes a lot of sense because if you if you were to sort of repaint them all then you would have no perspective of what it did look like mm -hmm. and if you were to leave them all then you might lose something so perhaps by doing a you know pan pan you get the best of both <laughs> worlds and you can yeah. you can yassify the palaces and mm -hmm. do that thing as well um with history okay like if you could give a tour so we've been speaking a lot about your work as a tour guide and, and how you go about this if you could give a tour of one place or one time so like we've got a little like uh time travel machine something like that you, you can give a tour of one place it could be uh sondok yowang's throne room it could be uh, admiral eason shin's bathroom i i don't know yeah don't do that one um <laughs> what where would you like to give a tour of what would you like to see what part of korean history perhaps still maybe fascinates you or you want to have more experience of um i mean as much as i love the historic sites that i do go to now like um the palaces and i actually also do like traditional hanuk villages like namsan and Bukchon and stuff and um like all the museums that are present if i can go back in time mm. i would actually want to go to the um chaoticness of the imjin war and look at the kabuk son of yisunshin 
it just reminded me because you mentioned Lee Sun-shin's bathroom. But um, I think Lee Sun-shin, he's obviously a very, very, very significant character in terms of our history. But um, also the Kobuk-san that he had made, it's a miracle, technically. It was built not so much before the war. And um, there were a lot of like... Um, controversy in terms of like Lee Sun-shin's um, production and you know um, the tactics that he used during the time but I would love to go back for for myself at least mm. to watch the chaoticness of the war I mean a little bit dangerous but <laughs> um, I think <laughs> it's so fascinating for me to see it was even before the first and second world war it there it was one of the biggest um, wars that happened during the during the period or in his in Korean history till then mm-hmm. for people to be in peace peace for 200 years and suddenly go like it breaks out a, a war breaks out and then they end up fighting and they end up winning mm-hmm. because it but it wasn't their intention to fight in the war so I really want to go back to see the wiseness of Isunshin, I guess, um, in handling those situations. And in wars, you know, nothing's expected. You you need to take control of the situation and you need to stay on top of it. And I would love to see how he did that and how he manipulated those, um, you know, factors like Takobuk-san or um, just what the communication between him and the um, royal family and um, all the offices, because also that was also um, very controversial during the time. I would actually really love to um, get a more hands-on experience with that. Yeah. So these are the turtle ships that you were just talking about for the the listeners. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, like the reason I love talking to people like you sometimes, Kay, is I, I don't know. I said, you know, do you want to go back to Sondok Yoang's throne room? And like, you know, there's all these people. And your answer is, no, I want to go and see Admiral Reese and shit <laughs> in the Ibjib Wars and the boats. And, and you know, and, and, and that's something that I wouldn't have expected, but is, is so interesting to hear that mm-hmm. that's the time that you would choose. Have you seen any of, they made one movie with Chemin Shik uh, a mm-hmm. couple of years mm-hmm. ago. I, I can't, it was called Roaring Currents or something. And then there's a new one coming out. Do you watch any mm-hmm. of those or? Um, I think I watched them, but it was such a long time ago, so I don't have like vivid memory. Mm-hmm. But the chaoticness, I love. <laughs> I, I don't know why. Maybe I'm weird, but I would I would be great as a warrior. I, I should go to the art or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Please do, please do. I, I made that comment last. Uh, I might have made it in one of my lectures when I was talking about military service. That I think my daughter will make a better soldier than my son. My, my son will have to do the military service, but my, <laughs> yeah. they should really, if they had any nolly, they'd pick my daughter because she's. Uh. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. I, I want to kind of move on just towards the closing into just a brief talk about like Generation Z and that thing and your age. Mm-hmm. Is there anything we've missed with history, with tours or anything Kay, that we should touch on before stepping to the next phase? Um. No, actually, I just want to achieve my goal, um, you know, having people more, know more about Korean history and culture. And I, I know that there's a lot of people working on this, like me. Um, there's a lot of websites that you can find online um, for visiting tours. And I, I will also keep constantly going to historic sites to give tours. And if you see an orange girl, please come say hi. <laughs> with with so, white yeah. gloves. <laughs> with white uh, yeah, gloves. yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I've got lots of international students in my classes, so I'll, I'll mention it to them because, mm-hmm. you know, that they need to go on the tours that actually they yeah. need the history because I can't teach them everything. So it's really important. <laughs> Um, that they that they do that. All right. Um, while you're here, I, I I do want to ask you some questions because, um, how old are you, Kay? Are you? I'm 18 international age, so 19. I voted this year. Oh, you voted this year? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can, yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was speaking to Sihun about Generation Z and youth in Korea, mm-hmm. and he gave he gave me lots of different ideas, and quite a few people sent me some messages. They said it was you know interesting to hear from somebody so young um mm-hmm. rather than just old people talk about young people mm-hmm. do you think uh there's a difference between being a 17 year old boy and an 18 year old girl in south korea do you think that you know the age makes your experiences similar or the the gender makes things very different what's it like to be an 18 year old girl in south korea at the moment k you you chose the right person <laughs> okay okay <laughs> to yeah, talk sure. talk to him about this um i i know sihun and sihun went to chadwick since he was um, very very young and i actually um got into chadwick like last year so 2020 was my first year and i think in in that sense the realm of international community and having being a new person to international community and being in a more traditional side of Korean school is also like a different factor comparing me to Sihun and also the age, even though we're the same age, depending on which environment you're a part of is very Mm. different. And also the gender part as well. I want to talk about the gender part a little bit. So I think it's very evident in one of the extracurriculars that I do. I'm actually um, the captain of our um, soccer varsity, varsity soccer team at school. Um, what yeah. position do you play? Um, I actually play everywhere, but um, I play midfield okay. and oh. midfield and right wing. But um, I think that my journey in terms of soccer, my soccer career actually reflects this type of Gen Z difference, but also at the same time, um, the difference between Korea and international environments and um, the gender, because um, currently as um, I'm in a part of the um, varsity girls soccer team in Chadwick, but I'm also a part of the um, Incheon United Academy in in Songdo, um, which means that I play with guys. I'm a part of a guys team and I'm the only girl. And I've been playing like this for the past eight nine years that I've been playing soccer since I was in third grade Mm. and the reason to that is because girls don't play soccer in Korea Mm. and or you have to be professional to play so I got used to playing with guys and um if you if I take this scenario into the experience that I had during middle school as a Gen Z like a very new generation, we're also struggling to get the sense of how the world is changing. So the world is saying gender and um, equality is important, you know, feminism and um, having women having more rights. Um, and that's very, very important. But at the same time, I think some people, especially like in my case, guys mm. who were playing soccer and, and me wanting to play soccer with them with the skills that I can, it's very um, you know, limiting for me and very startling for them to get in this atmosphere, 
fear of, you know, being a Gen Z and kind of taking in the factors and the changes that the society brings. Um, I've heard many bad things about, you know, you're a girl, why, why are you playing soccer from like bad comments to um, swearing and um, a lot of controversial things because just because with the reason I'm a girl and mm. because I can't participate in guys, like sports for guys, you know, um, as a Korean, because Koreans have very traditional mindset of the differentiation with gender, like I've mentioned before, the, the separation of um, roles as women and men, mm. um, they it's been kind of a continuation of that in modern days as well so because i went to korean school where international school is a, a bit more open so chadwick has um girls soccer teams from a kindergarten if they want to to high school girls but for me because i grew up in a traditionally korean environment um yes there's more um girls playing soccer nowadays um and there's like even tv shows where um you know women celebrities come on and they play soccer these days but mm. when i started playing soccer or when i was in middle school so that was like i was like nine so like 2010 um or like since then it's been very very hard for me to kind of engage in the new societal changes and me having the new mindset of being more exposed in gender and uh, equality and stuff i was trying to focus and you know push myself even though I was getting hurt to fit in this um thoughts that I had as a Gen Z um you know girl growing up doing pursuing what I want to do and what I'm good at but at the same time because there's the difference of gender it kind of very limited limited me or at because to be honest, I could have taken soccer as my career if I wanted to from a young age, if it wasn't for that difference in, in some aspects, if I was more like, um, if the society really um, took me in and, you know, swept me off my feet and they were very um, generous about a girl playing soccer in Korea. I'm not saying that that's the case for international communities or, you know, even in America, you know, um, girls soccer has been a favorite, very famous sport. But for me in Korea, especially still, still to this day, girl, like women's soccer hasn't been as developed as much compared to other countries, even though it's getting bigger. So in that scenario i think um the difference and the perspective of gen z and um just in general how we're trying to push ourselves to you know i mean there's social media and um, a lot of more connections to the international world these mm. days and i think that's kind of technology does a big factor on moving um koreans or like people in general and traditional mindsets um or to exposing them to a new world but at the same time it is still a struggle that people are um, struggling to kind of cope with the changes especially individual cases like mine so yeah that's one thing different <laughs> is there another world where i would be i would be talking to you about your career as an international football player instead of history <laughs> I mean, do you feel like uh -huh. that? Do you feel like there was this thing that you could or would have achieved, but not for society kind of pushing you or you don't, it, it's not like that? I'm just um, I mean, there was a lot of factors why I didn't choose soccer as my career when I was young. But it is true that when I was in fifth grade and sixth grade, I my dream, even though I was studying history, my mm. dream was to be a professional soccer player. And um then when I went to school and I played soccer with the boys, they were like, like even though they could 
evidently see I was sometimes better than them, not saying all the time, but um, I was, my skill level was acceptable, but mm. they still was discriminating against me. And um, those like, like pressure maybe kind of um, draw, like drew me like away. And there were certain times in my middle school life, I mean, people are going through puberty and everyone's sensitive, but at the same time, I was um, like really, really severely hurt by the things people said. And even because um, the guy's impression of a girl playing soccer is like that, they actually influenced the other girls Mm. to see me in a different way mm. oh she's the girl that plays soccer oh, why would she play soccer just you know hang out with us like normal girls and the the concept of normal and not kind of I mean Gen Z is all about you know diversity and um have like coping with um different people and different culture but at the same time because those traditional mindsets were there um I think in that sense the diversity was a little bit um less diverse in, mm -hmm. i guess in some aspects yeah so it's like you're too girly for the boys and you're too yeah. masculine for the girls you get uh -huh. caught in between them yeah. you you mentioned that there was a difference perhaps between the the eight years or whatever it was of korean education that you did mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. uh, compared to chadwick international school mm -hmm. <clears throat> what's the difference what's like korean education normal regular Korean education if there is such a thing is either the best thing in the world or it's the worst thing in the world because it's so stressful it's so competitive there's there's study from morning till night it's rote memorization mm -hmm. or everyone's literate everyone's pretty smart they can do great math there's not too much sort of drugs and guns problems mm -hmm. you know so the, it's either the best or the worst what what is it really like um I wouldn't, I don't know about Chadwick International as an education system because it follows the IB curriculum and the NYPPYP curriculum. Mm. So what I have experienced in Chadwick um, going to the last year, the fifth year of NYP, which is an education system that was originated, originated from Europe and um, the IB diploma program that I'm doing right now. It's very different in the sense, like you've mentioned, that Korean school is all about memorization. And at the same, same time that it works, getting knowledge into students' brains and having people be more educated, um, it doesn't work as the same as um, MYP or IB in the sense that, okay, I, I guess I'm a little bit biased that mm -hmm. I like MYP or IB exam, uh, education systems more. But at the same time, I think there's a difference where um, IB now, kind of forces like like emphasizes the production of knowledge or the use of knowledge because knowledge can be accessible to everyone if you have a laptop or it's the the accessibility of knowledge is very more convenient to compare back to like before but korean education just emphasizes on knowing but ib more implements that into usage of education in real life situations or um you know how you process the knowledge into your individual case or a global mindset that you might have in order to taking care of a global issue or um, engaging in the international world and i think that's the main difference between korean education system and international education system mm -hmm. and 
to improve that, the, the Korean government is doing a lot of work, and, and I'm aware because they're having like students choose courses on their interests, and they're having um, people more engaged. They're doing a lot of extracurricular programs. And before, it, whereas it was only about like suning the KSAT or the grades that you get. Um, nowadays, I mean, because of of Corona, it's been a little bit um out of focus. But a lot of the times, it was about volunteer hours. Like you needed to get about um, 20 hours of volunteering time during middle school and high school for sure every year um, to you know go, get a point to go to high school or mm. um, you know these extracurricular activities or the school would give awards um, for you know not just talent about studying like but like um, you know writing essays or um, drawing drawing or you know sciences and stuff and I really admire the constant effort that um, the Korean education systems are putting in, but in order to change and move um, through to like to get to a bigger uh, international stage like the IB system, it requires time and effort and money. So yeah, um, but really big difference is that knowledge, the memorization and the flatness of education of how they deal with knowledge itself kind of shapes the Korean students in my in, in my aspect of what what I experienced, um, taking them to a very close-mindedness compared to thinking about others or respecting others and um, just what it would feel like living in an international world as, you know, technology is being developed, um, you know, um, country borders are not, not really existent anymore in, in the social uh, network. So, yeah, in that sense, I think there's a big difference, yeah. How how did you survive? It sounds like your outlook on life, what you what you want, what you value in in terms of identity, in terms of national borders, in in terms of morality or opinions. You said that the Korean education system is changing, but I mean, you were in there for like eight years. How did you survive? What were the challenges? What were the process? Because you, you seem pretty positive today. Was it you, you got through it? I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually. I really had a tough time during elementary school and middle school. Um, I went to Korean school until the first year, the first semester of high school. So until 2020, um, June, I went to Korean school for eight years and it was very different. I had a lot of problems um, blending in with my peers and I can't really necessarily say that that was a bad thing because I knew how to, you know, sometimes cut corners or be flexible or um, deal with certain conflicts that I had in life that I'm going to need to learn in the future in society um, to have like a nice life. But at the same time, I think it, it was very hard for me to blend in in terms of culture and language, because like I've said, um, you know, coming back, I wasn't really accepted for the person that I was. And I wouldn't say necessarily a, an identity crisis because I'm not, um, you know, foreign. I, I don't have dual citizenship. I'm I'm 100% Korean. But the mindset that I had in my head, I, I always thought I needed to work hard to get to a place where I can be feel confident about myself and where I can actually study in English and do what I wanted to do. So, I mean, yes, I was studying history and it's a bit very big part of me in middle school since I started giving tours and stuff but one of the other goals that I one of the other reasons why I loved giving tours so much was because I could connect with foreigners that was really the only place that I can meet foreign people because Korea is very um, highly populated with Koreans it's not very diverse in terms of um, 
you know, um, nationality or, you know, race. So I, it was the only outlook for myself. The, it was my only escape place to not be Korean, like as weird as that sounds. And as much as I love Korean culture and history and being Korean myself, I wanted to get to a place where I wanted to feel the international setup and actually it's very hard for Koreans with Korean nationality to get into international school as you get older and older and mm. considering that I get I got into Chadwick in 10th grade I think it reflects the hard work that I put in in order to wanting to fulfill and you know establish being comfortable about myself and um being in a environment and I I know Chadwick also is a very highly Korean populated international school, but compared to Korean traditional high school, it's a very international place that at least I have people that went through similar things, like talking in two languages. Mm. And I think being in that um, closed um, traditional Korean school since I was young, during puberty for everyone, that certainly didn't help. But that experience kind of gave me a more insight of how diverse people is reading what the other person might think and how I needed to act in order to respect someone or um, to get my thoughts across or sometimes like because I had those um, you know adversities in in, in my life Mm -hmm. during middle school I think that's why that's how I was able to blend in well when I went to I came to international schools even though I've never studied in English because you know first grade and second grade doesn't really count in studying but I was able to um, get the hang of it really fast compared to other people when I came into international school I was able to make friends with foreign people as well which is a very big um you know, hardship when it comes to the separation of Korean people and international people or like in term, like any other international school in any other country, that's really hard. But because I had those experiences, I was able to blend in, in, in a case, I am blending in, in an mm. in international school right now, which was actually my goal to find something that I feel comfortable with and now with my goal of going to college or university in America or any other um, country other than Korea to feel more um, international and putting myself in the international stage like I'm trying to put Korean history I think in that sense I was able to because I had those experiences and that because I knew those differences I got to know more about Korea itself and what I needed to bring on to the international world to make Korean either that's Korean history or myself more um, you know for people to be more knowledgeable about it yeah I get the feeling that by leaving Korean education and going to international education, you were able, or even sort of talking to foreigners and such forth, you were able to be yourself more. Mm-hmm. You're able to be, to, to be K or something and rather than acting in yeah. society or something. That's yeah. what I get a lot of. Um, you, you said that you voted in, in the last mm-hmm. election. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, now for a lot of people outside of Korea that, uh, understand Korea through social media or through English language articles and things like that. Um, Korea in your generation is divided heavily amongst gender. Yeah. 
is that right do you i i know this is a very controversial subject you don't have to go into it if you don't want to but like what is it like in terms of the the male and female population in korea for amongst people your age is it just one of these natural teething problems or no there's serious fundamental issues to be resolved it it affected your voting it didn't affect your voting how does that play out okay Um, I haven't really thought about this specific topic. Um, I think Sihoon's very interested in politics and what's happening nowadays. But mm. for me, um, I just think that what really matters is actually being knowledgeable that there is that difference. Um, actually knowing that there's something that we need to like work for. And I don't really... I'm not as knowledgeable, I guess, as much as Sihoon or anybody else that about like what's going on in the political world or yeah, yeah. I was just fascinated to I can vote now I'm, I'm an adult, but <laughs> um, yeah, but um, I think just knowing that it exists and having awareness like, um, you know, spreading awareness to uh, like other social issues, it, it, that's what matters. Yeah. Mm. No, no, I, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, Is there any message that you would like to give to the listeners about the real life experiences of young people in Korea? So it, it doesn't have to be political, but, you know, some people did say that it was interesting to hear from from young people because normally we only hear from professors or celebrities or things <laughs> like that. So that's part of this this effort that I'm doing. Is there is there anything that you want to say about the real life experiences of, of young people in Korea? Um, I think at least for me, young people, I think people my age might feel a very um, pressured right now, especially if they go to Korean school or anywhere in the world. You're very pressured with the thought that I have to do well. Yeah, um, I have to do better, to, I'm, whether that's in life or colleges or studying or, you know, or, you know, if you're doing a sport like sport, but I think that they're very pressured because the quality of life is getting higher and higher, especially for Koreans. And um, like we've seen in the past 20 years, it's been very, very different. It, it changes a lot. And Korea is very sensitive to change, like um, social media or like any other platform in the world is. And I think, I feel like people my age might think that there's a lot of change going on and we need to adapt to that. And we need to also cope with the pressure, um, whether that's parents or my expectations or um, to do well in those changes and, and we have to be fluent. And I think that's one of the things that people are aware of. And um, I think that's why one of the, actually um, I love the book, The Power of Minchi, and it kind of talks about how Koreans have built life from nunchi and i think um have being a korean and having that nunchi and as a young generation going through these changes we have to utilize nunchi in order to um you know be successful or match expectations that people have or um drive korea to those situations and now i'm very fortunate to find my um interest in a very young age but um a lot of people are not um knowledgeable of what they want to do in the future and for me also i know that i like history and i know like that i want to um, pursue an international relations but at the same time i don't know what i want to be specifically and knowing that there's that uncertainty in you know as a young generation you have the uncertainty of 
what you don't know what's going to happen in life and having to go through those changes i think is one of the aspects that people are aware of which mm. i want to like mention yeah i think we've got this um the polish sociologist zygmunt bauman he wrote this book called or he had this idea called liquid modernity but one of the ideas of that the basic idea was that we tell young people these days be yourself do what you want but that's really hard. That's actually yeah. worse because sometimes we're meant to be giving guidance and values and mm -hmm. instruction and mm -hmm. not telling them what to do, but giving them some kind of choices or options yeah. or structure. Mm -hmm. But just saying be yourself is like, oh my God, it's a really <laughs> suffocating actually thing mm -hmm. for people. Yeah. Definitely. You mentioned, um, <clears throat> excuse me, The Power of Nunchi, which is um, Uni Hong's book, I believe. Yeah. My yeah. memory serves. Yeah. What's the, what's the, what's the secret? What, what, what is, um, how do, <laughs> give us, give us the Nunchi 101K while you're here. Oh, um, well, I've, I've, I've read in the book and I've, it's, I had a lot of aha moments while reading the book mm -hmm. and I realized Koreans are one of the very few people who get scolded by their parents because you don't have nunchi i've heard a lot from my mom mm -hmm. they're like can you have more nunchi you need to use your nunchi in these situations yeah um i think nunchi can be developed as you learn and i learned going through my middle school elementary school um experiences with the conflicts with my peers mm -hmm. i think that's the most um influential thing that happened for me but i would just say you know, bumping in and, you know, stumbling along the way, kind of in the book, it says sensing what you feel like and speed is important. Mm. And I think speed will come along as long as long as you, you know, proceed, like progress through, but just being aware and trying to empathize and trying to be aware of what you're surrounded by is really the key point and trying to think putting yourself in the other person's place i think that's really what nunchi is all about and respecting others yeah mm. no it's <clears throat> it's got to be quick and you're right people do scold about yeah <laughs> that, that kind of thing it, it, yeah. it comes out and for me the idea of nunchi is i always have to quickly work out in a social situation whether i'm number one two three four five or six mm -hmm. because as, as a professor or as a media person sometimes i'm number one but then when I meet other people, I might be number four or five. So sometimes I have to be super quiet and just shut mm -hmm. up. And other times <laughs> I, I have to lead and mm -hmm. it changes all the time. And, and nobody actually tells you. Uh, and yeah. so you need to just, can you, what's he? Nunchi reply. You need to just get it for your nunchi, don't you? That's it. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. It. No. yeah. My nunchi's not bad. Um, <laughs> just a couple more questions, Kay. I'll try and get mm -hmm. this camera sorted. Um, you, you've already done so much at such a young age. You, you've talked a little bit about going abroad for university, I think, or international mm -hmm. relations. Yeah. What does the future hold for you? We've, we've spoken so much about history. Just speak to me a little bit about the future. Um, well, everything is uncertain, but I mean, the future is uncertain for everyone. But mm. I'm, yeah, um, my goal right now is um, doing well in school, <laughs> going abroad, um, pos hopefully the USA if I don't have any um, change in my heart, but or, you know, I, I would love to, um, you know, adventure through foreign places. So um, put myself out there, know more about it. And 
I think I, as much as I love, love, love Korean history, I'm now getting to know more about world history because I'm learning, I take IB um, higher level um, history course right now. So I'm just trying to ease into a new concept of history and um, the differences, Korean history and IB history is very different yeah. as much as world history. And um, I really like the way the teacher tries to shape my understanding of historiography and how I need to perceive history and in, in those aspects being objective or subjective at times. Um, and that's just getting the getting the hang of being exposed to different kinds of history and taking that into international relations, which I hope to major in, I'm not sure yet, but um, in using history as a language to um, cooperate like cooperate with other people or like inter like different nationalities or you know just putting myself in that international stage where I can engage with a lot of people um you know looking for diversity and um as much as I can um you know settle into change and blend in um I want to do that in a bigger stage i guess mm -hmm. so that's what i want to do now <laughs> it, it, it sounds fascinating that you already have those goals and and also you you know you mentioned you had uh teachers providing you guidelines and mm -hmm. and how to study mm -hmm. that yeah that's great i hope you achieve it um the uh kind of historian international relations thinker martin white w-i-g-h-t fascinating guy because he brings the idea of history into international relations which is sometimes very ahistorical it's sometimes you know it's mm -hmm. systemic realism and it's just the structure mm -hmm. of the international system and anarchy and, <laughs> you know it's very ahistoric but martin white mm -hmm. uh, does a lot of good stuff with that in the english school oh, Be before yeah it's worth checking out i hate it mm -hmm. but the school of um, the, the theory school he's from is called the English school and I always mm -hmm. felt really bad like telling people because I'm English and it feels like <laughs> David you just like that because you're English and I'm like no it's I, I don't honest. <laughs> it's, it's weird I, it shouldn't be mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I need to ask you this question you you spoke a bit about football sorry soccer um, which, <laughs> which what is your team do you, do you do you support a team Kay is there a favorite team you have or player oh uh... Well, I only watch um, Korean men and women's soccer and uh, USA women's soccer league, so okay. I don't think I have a say in that. <laughs> okay, I was I was just curious. Yeah, that, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, last question, then, Kaya, because have we missed anything? By the way, just before I we we wrap this up, is there anything that we've missed or needs to be said? Uh, no, no, I'm good. No. So uh, excellent. So. <laughs> Uh, the last question, Kay, is one that has been asked many times, but very simply, uh, we're all in this world together. Uh, we didn't ask to be here, but thus we are here living. What yeah. should we be doing to make our lives better? What should we be doing to help lives of other people? What can we do to provide more rewarding experiences? What's the meaning of life, Kay? Hmm. Very, very abstract question. Um, I think based on our conversation and what I believe, um, maybe just being knowledgeable, um, whether that's not being knowledgeable, like being book smart and street smart is different, but um, being knowledgeable that, you know, I, for myself, being knowledgeable to not repeat the same mistakes again, like the purpose of what history is. Um, 
being knowledgeable, having awareness and respecting others and being knowledgeable about your surroundings and what it's like and what you should take in action, whatever that is, in order to produce like a good outcome, whether that's for your peers or people around you, their environment or, um, you know, yourself. I think that's really the key to, you know, have like being fulfilled in life, I guess. You don't really have to have certain elements or being in a certain position to be happy. But I think as long as you're knowledgeable of what you have to do, what your purpose is and what you are like, what you're, where you're going at to, I mean, cause life is really long and it's very big and there's a lot of things. So <laughs> I think um, being knowledgeable in that sense of knowing yourself or what you desire and for me in that case it's history right now but i don't know what that's going to change into but being knowledgeable in those instances being knowledgeable of change being knowledgeable of what needs my help what needs what i need i can contribute to whether that's you know in the international stage or um, globally or locally who needs my help i think that's really um what you need, should be aware of while you're living life so yeah Hope, hope that's a okay answer <laughs> no no any answer is okay but you with all the books behind you a tour guide since you were 11 <laughs> studying history be knowledgeable kind of fits the the theme i think perfectly mm -hmm. is there no i i, I like it Kay. is there is all knowledge knowledge are, are there good is there good knowledge and bad knowledge are there right types of knowledge is it like you know as long as you're getting stuff into you it's it, it's all good or is there kind of like uh good knowledge and bad knowledge this sounds like my theory of knowledge class i like it okay. <laughs> but um i mean there are certain things that you shouldn't know um but it won't kill you i i hope <laughs> um mm -hmm. it, it really depends but i i think knowing which what type of knowledge that you should be knowing having the nunchi is also mm -hmm. a part of the knowledge that you should be knowing if that's okay i hope i'm not answering um the wrong question but <laughs> yeah um nunchi as a korean very very useful yeah <laughs> go with your guts and you know what you should know yeah i like uh, it, it makes yeah perfect sense. <laughs> okay thank you very much